Thanks for tuning in to the Follow Church weekly message. Our hope and prayer is that you will find this message uplifting and challenging as we seek to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. All right, Romans 16. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Sancria. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of His people and to give her any help she may need from you for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend Epinetus, who is the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Adronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews, who have been in prison with me. They're outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachus. Greet Apellus, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristopolis. Greet Herodon, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. Greet Asyntris, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and other brothers and sisters with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Narius, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the Lord's people who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I rejoice with you, but I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Timothy, my co-worker, sends his greetings to you, as do Lucius, Jason, and Sosipata, my fellow Jews. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, sends you his greetings. Erastus, who is in the city's director of public works, and our brother, Quartus, send you their greetings. Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ, in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, church is getting a bad rap. It's easy to tell. Just let all your workmates know that you were here this morning for an hour and a half and see the reactions that you get. It's not fashionable, it's not sane. In fact, it's slightly crazy. Why would you spend regular time with people, most of whom you hardly know? 
singing songs that are not on the radio, to the people that are at the front of the stage, hearing someone talk about a subject for 30 minutes that's not nearly as interesting as a TED talk, give some of your hard-earned money to who knows where, enter into some polite chat if you happen to be an extrovert, and then get a free coffee chit if you're lucky. Church. Yet, if we're to believe what Jesus says, what his closest followers said, and what the Bible clearly records, the church, that is the local assembling together of people who are Christian believers and other genuine seekers, is an essential part of God's eternal plan. It's his crazy idea to bring together people from every walk of life to worship, to encourage one another, to hear and discern and put into practice biblical truth, to pray for each other, to generously contribute to God's work in seeing his rule and reign realized across this earth. And that is why chapter 16 of Romans is crucial. It's not an add-on. It's not something that we get to 15, maybe. Maybe we'll just get to chapter 8, possibly chapter 12, and then we skip over to 1 Corinthians. No. Like very few other passages do, it points out the nature of what church ought to be like. And so it's personal as well. It talks of individuals and groups that can motivate and encourage us to consider our walk with God. I want this skip over chapter to become an essential one that you will keep revisiting. It is springtime, AD 58, and Paul is in the city of Corinth in South Greece. Near to completing his third missionary journey across the eastern Mediterranean region of that Roman Empire of the time. It's a journey that will culminate with his visit to Jerusalem where he plans on delivering this substantial monetary gift to the Jewish believers in Jerusalem that he has collected from all the churches that he has established. And Tertius has helped Paul by translating his words into a letter, now commonly known as the book of Romans. And Paul has commissioned a respected church leader from a small congregation in a nearby port town to deliver this letter in person to the people in the city of Rome, the capital city, the powerhouse of the empire, Washington, D.C., Moscow, to a lesser extent, Canberra. (laughs) In total contrast to Jerusalem, the Christian community of Rome is absolutely cosmopolitan. The majority of the church are non-Jewish or Gentile believers. Paul called to be Christ's chief envoy, another word for that is apostle, to the Gentiles is eager to visit them and establish Rome as his new base as he goes further west, especially to Spain. And so anointed by the Holy Spirit, Paul writes a detailed first-hand account of the Christian faith, 
that has been proclaimed across the empire, what he calls the good news or the gospel. Page after page, he outlines some of the most important features of this gospel message. Now, some of you are old enough to remember when we started Romans. And now we arrive at this concluding section of this magnificent letter. Despite it commonly treated as an add-on, final remarks, I believe that this, like every other word, is totally inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's crucially important that we have ears to hear. Let me pray. Lord, Holy Spirit, we pray that we this morning would have ears to hear that we would come to this inspired word given to the Apostle Paul. Lord, that it would bring consolation, conviction, challenge, comfort. Lord, that this word would be anointed this morning by you, Holy Spirit. Amen. And so to the word, chapter 16. You can see when you look at it in your Bibles, that it's divided pretty much into five subsections. Verse 1 and 2 are a personal commendation. Verses 3 through to 16 is a list of greetings to individuals and groups in Rome. Then there's a pithy piece on... I love that word, pithy. I have to put it in uh, there. A pithy piece on wisdom required for holy living... And then further list of people based in Corinth, who along with Paul are sending their greetings. And lastly, a succinct summary of the gospel and an offering of praise. This is packed, this, what we call this chapter. Of course, there was no chapter when it was written. There were no verses when it was written. (laughs) But it does help us. So to the commendation. Paul commences his conclusion with a hearty commendation of the person entrusted with the letter. Out of another version here. Now let me introduce to you our dear and beloved sister in the faith, Phoebe, a shining minister of the church in Chantria. I am sending her with this letter and ask that you shower her with hospitality when she arrives. Embrace her with honour as is fitting for one who belongs to the Lord and is set apart by Him. I am entrusting her to you. So provide for her whatever she may need for she's been a great leader, a champion for many. I know because she's been that for me. It's like Paul starts with a test. How the congregation responds to the messenger may well be determined how they respond to the message. So let's note together. First, the person is a woman. Not only that, but she's a Greek woman from a place with a very uh, reputable name. It was a port city. Further, it's evident from her name Phoebe, taken from Greek mythology, that she was probably saved out of a pagan worship to the god Apollos. She's a woman, she's a foreigner, she's a former idolater, and she's from a notorious place. 
But here is Paul's and God's evaluation of her. You see, it's so important that we have the right evaluation of ourselves in God's sight. She is a minister. She's a prominent church leader. Someone who has proved herself in many ways to be a person of integrity, ability, kindness, generosity. She is in some trustworthy. So much so that of all the people in that Corinth area, she is chosen to take one of the most substantial journeys to Rome in order to deliver and then very possibly read for the very first time, get that, the first time, this letter, this epic letter, this inspired scripture. Now, of course, women have always been at the forefront of the kingdom of Christ. One gave birth to him and raised him. Some used their resources to support his three years of ministry. We don't have any record of a man doing that, only taking the money. Others were found at the foot of the cross, and they prepared his body for burial. It was a woman who was first to witness the resurrection and to tell the other disciples. Women were in the upper room when the Holy Spirit fell at Pentecost. It was a woman who was the first believer in Europe. Christian women have been on the front lines of setting up hospitals, schools, orphanages, of protesting and abolishing injustices and inequalities, of leaving all behind to be missionaries in foreign and distant lands and never to return to their families. So what is the first sign of the community to be? Here are some questions. Does it matter to us what nationality, what location, what background, what status someone has, or does it matter more to welcome others without judgment? to value and appreciate and embrace them? Will we look for what really matters? Shining Jesus. Even the word Phoebe means shine or radiant. To shine Jesus, to show the fruit of the Spirit, to live for the benefit of others, to be willing to go wherever and do whatever is required by God. Is that what we're looking for? Now follow, are we going to be a congregation that welcomes, we've had our one minute welcome, that welcomes, endorses, encourages and promotes women in ministry, commissioned by Jesus, commended by the apostles. And then we get to the list. Verses 3 to 16, now to the list which uh, Paul sends Greetings to at least 25 individuals and five households, or what we might call house churches. Here's a simple test. As though you were just going to sit there the whole time and do nothing. Here's a simple test. I want you to turn to your neighbor. Try in one minute, I'm going to be timing. Apart from new visitors, of course, you're off the hook. 
try in one minute to name as many people you know in the room and leaders of our MCG home groups, starting, I'm serious, now. Don't run out, you've got another half a minute. You might have to look around. Oh, what's her name? What's his name? Have you named any children yet? Have you forgotten the children? And stop. Who reckons they were able to name 25? Yeah, yeah there are half a dozen hands. <laughs> I think Paul did really well for someone who had never visited the church in Rome. How about you? And I think what's presented here should dispel all notions and lies perpetrated over the centuries about the Apostle Paul, that somehow he was a socially awkward person, that because he was still a Pharisee at heart, he was pushy and superior. He had no time for women. He was a sexual prude. No. Here we see a man committed deeply to people. He was a pastor. To individuals and teams, he refers to their personalities, their strengths, their motivational gifts, their passions, and their human dignity. Somehow, he knew these people. Not just names, he knew them. And here we are privileged to catch a special and significant glimpse into the true nature of this Christian community and what community should look like. Paul starts with some of his closest friends, verses 3 to 5. Greet Priscilla or Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers. My partners in ministry serving the anointed one, Jesus Christ, for they've risked their own lives to save mine. I'm so thankful for them. Also give my loving greetings to the believers in their house church. So a little bit of background. Priscilla and her husband Aquila were prominent Christians who had owned several homes in different cities. Business-wise, they were into working with leather and other materials from which they manufactured products like tents. That is how they and Paul first met and how they first became Christians. They worked together in the trade and they heard the gospel through conversations in the work marketplace. That's where so many people can become Christians, the marketplace. Priscilla, never, nearly always mentioned before her husband, Aquila, they were possibly a mixed marriage, Jew and Gentile. 
but they epitomized this new community, the church. These two were a great husband and wife team. They complemented each other, ministering and showing hospitality together, teaching the Bible together, passing on the faith to future leaders such as the great Apollos. And it appears here that they even risked their lives together for Paul. Little wonder that people were drawn to meet in their home. First in Ephesus, now in Rome. Perhaps 20 or 30 people in the workshop attached to their house, which the apostle, without any hesitation, calls a church. Get that, a church. So these two verses raise a lot of questions as well. How are we as a congregation, well, uh, congregation sorry, at welcoming and encouraging couples to minister together? How are we with mixed marriages? How are we with reconstituted marriages and families? How comfortable are we with having people who may be wealthy, very wealthy, Do we liken James 2, fawn all over them, preferring their company over others? Or do we, in fact, judge them for their acumen and for their success? Or do we look for the wealth of Christ in them? And have you thought of your home as a church? That's interesting, eh? If not, maybe you need to change your concept of what church is. And are you taking advantage of meeting in houses? For instance, being part of our MCGs. That's just a subtle push. (laughs) And then Paul has really only got started. You're wondering how I'm going to get through all of this. Hopefully I will. There is Eponetus, the first person that Paul led to the Lord in the Roman province of Asia, that's modern Turkey. No wonder he is near the top of the list and that Paul has a special place of affection for him. He's deeply loved. He's a significant friend. And now somehow he's changed country and he's in Rome. Friends are so important. Church should be a place where we can make friends. Do you have room for another friend? How do you regard those who have been around a while who have been Christians for decades, what place do they have in our congregation? Then to Miriam or Mary, one of the at least seven women that he has listed here. She's a Jew. She, like so many other women that Paul mentions in his letters and that we find in the Gospel and the Book of Acts, is commended for being profoundly, uh, sorry, a profoundly hard worker. She selflessly uses her skills and her gifts to benefit others, like Tabitha of Joppa, who was raised back to life by the Apostle Peter. Do you know the names of the women and men who serve our morning teas? I don't. Do you help at the coffee cart? Do you know their names? Do you know the names of those who are up front on Tuesday and Thursday nights to minister to the poor in Pakenham? Perhaps we need to consider how we can show appreciation to these who are working so hard. 
Make sure that my fellow Jews, Andronicus and Junia, are honoured, for they are my fellow captives who bear the distinctive marks of being outstanding and well-known apostles and who were joined into the anointed one before me. So we move on. Here we have two significant people, a male and a female, perhaps husband and wife, who have been Christians before Paul was converted. They may well have been witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus. Amazing. Wouldn't that be awesome to meet these people? One day we will. Maybe they were amongst the 3,000 who were saved on the day of Pentecost. But they represent the old ones, the pioneers, the specially favoured, the ones who have suffered terribly for the faith. And then in verse 13, greet Rufus. I know I've missed a few, but I'll go back. Another Jew, the eminent redhead, that's what Rufus means, a red here. Rufus, held to be the son of Simon of Cyrene. If you don't know who he was, he was the man commandeered to carry the cross of Christ up the Via Dolorosa. Amazing, he's in Rome. And next, jumping from such pioneers, apostles, eminent Jews, Paul greets one of the new Gentile believers who has only ever known obscurity. Ampliatus was a member of the imperial household. In other words, a slave. <laughs> One of at least 13 that Paul greets personally. Get that? Slaves that he greets personally. Paul, the great apostle, the great theologian, the great pioneer, the great sufferer for Christ, not only knew the prominent saints, household names in the early church, but he knew the names of unknown and unimportant slaves. He mixed with them, he worshipped with them, he taught them, he loved them. Like Philemon's slave Onesimus, who would later be in prison with Paul. Paul loved the young, the illiterate, the despised, the oppressed slaves of Rome, as he did the highly esteemed wise saints with most amazing testimonies. So the question's for us. Are we respecters of persons? How far does our honouring extend? How ready are we to speak with the new person whose pedigree we're uncertain of? Or do we go to the trusted old guard? Is the pastor more favoured than one of our friends from the Bless Collective Ministry? Then there are the real surprises. Next, and he got this one right, Adam. Better than me. He greets the household of Aristobulus. Likely another house church consisting of, you've got it, slaves. This Aristobulus, this is interesting, who lived in Rome as a private citizen, has been identified as the grandson of Herod the Great, and the brother of Herod Agrippa I. Right there in a Herodian household were believers. And then by chance, Paul happens to know another guy named Herodian, who is also a believer in Rome. 
anyone with even a slight knowledge of the Herod's family could only be staggered at God's ways and amazing humour. Church in Herod's house. Wish the John the Baptist was there to see it. And then we find another church meeting under the roof of the family of Narcissus, likely to be the great Tiberius Claudius Narcissus, a wealthy freeman who supported the wrong politicians and was executed by Nero's lovely mother in AD 54. So now his slaves belong to Nero. Get that. And a meeting right under the Caesar's nose. Like a church meeting in the office of Kim Jong-un's headquarters. <laughs> it's just awesome. I love this chapter. Isn't it rich? And then from household slave, Paul doesn't hesitate to follow right along. In verse 12, and greet these amazing hard workers, Tryphena and Tryphosa. If you're after girls' names, consider these. <laughs> they were probably twin sisters. They meant dainty and delicate. Isn't that nice? <laughs> but then he commends them for their labor. And the Greek word that means labor or working here means to work until you're absolutely exhausted. Delicate and dainty. I don't know how he knew them, but he did. Next he greets another woman, Persis, whose name means Persian woman. The contrasts here are profound, aren't they? Slaves on the lowest rung of society, meeting and worshipping alongside high-born ladies. Slaves from every corner of the empire, including the Middle East, alongside respected citizens, true bloods and immigrants. The Church of Rome would have seemed to any outside observation, observer a motley crew, perhaps a dangerous subversive organisation in which racial, sexual, social conditions had all been swept away by a rising tide of fanaticism. In actual fact, what we see exemplified here is the spearhead of Christ's kingdom. It is a society of friends where there is neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, bond nor free, but in Christ all are one. The divisions imposed by society, our society of race, sex, occupation, loyalty, locality, sorry, citizenship, all of these are disregarded. And this is where I got to. It remains something of a miracle, like our congregation right here, that these people were brought together. But they did. And they kissed. Verse 16. They kissed to prove it. Now, maybe we get a quick thanks by the people welcoming us at the door. 
We might get through that excruciating one-minute welcome, but to embrace, well, I'm not a penty. I am, actually, but... <laughs> but to get in one another's faces, for a Jew to kiss a Gentile, a slave to kiss a master, a businessman and an unemployed solo mum, a fair dinkum Aussie hug a refugee from Afghanistan. Unthinkable. But think again. Paul, no, it's God, expects up-close, awkward, uncomfortable community. Not just words, but an action. He wants us to be a holy kiss community. How am I going? Time-wise. I forgot when I started. <laughs> hey, but it's not a free-for-all. Living in Holy Kiss community calls for great wisdom. And so in that short little interlude, 17 to 20, he says, well, if you're going to have the Holy Kiss community, watch out. Because not everybody will like it. And a whole lot of people will try to take advantage of it. And while we should greet all genuine saints and seekers, we have to shun those who cause division and scandal. We're talking about the masters of deceit, masters of psychology, ma not if you've got a masters of psychology, <laughs> <laughs> masters of manipulating people and especially manipulating their wallets. Watch the way they live. You will know them by their fruits. And of course, he refers straight back to the Garden of Eden and the fall. And he talks about good and evil. The garden had the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But here is the gospel version of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You see, they were always to know good over evil, not good and evil, good over evil. To focus on the good and be naive to evil, to overcome evil by good. So the question is, how are you staying on the straight and narrow? How are you and I deciding what are the essentials and the non-essentials that Ray talked about a couple of weeks back? Are you staying close to others who are also working out their faith with fear and trembling? Careful who you kiss. Remember Judas. I'm getting there. Paul's immediate companions are now mentioned as wanting to send their greetings. Maybe words of warning just given by Paul has prompted Timothy to get in first. He identifies with the mixed community of Rome and with the warning and plea for wisdom. He knows something of the challenges of being a half-caste believer. He's the son of a racially mixed marriage. He's called to serve in congregations full of strongly opinionated people. 
He's the loyal leader commissioned to oversee some really interesting church communities that were still working out what it meant to be a holy kiss community. He knows about dealing with divisive false teachers. And then three of Paul's fellow Jews, probably part of the diaspora over the previous centuries, they chip in. One of them goes by the Greek name Jason, one who hosted him on his first visit to Thessalonica. Next is Gaius, another Gentile and Roman citizen. Gaius had invited them into their home after they'd been thrown out of the synagogue. And then he became a Christian himself and got baptised by Paul. And the last two companions mentioned as sending their best wishes couldn't be more of a contrast. Erastus was a prominent city official in Corinth, while Quartus was very probably a former slave, as his name simply means fourth, as in fourth in the lineup. A Roman official with a name about town, serving alongside of a person with a number for a name. Who's got a number for a name? Hi, I'm number 13. But he's a bit like the transcriber, Tertius, that means third. So here we are, greetings from Mr. Third and Mr. Fourth. <laughs> a city councillor, another middle-class citizen alongside a half-caste, this is a holy kiss community. And then we finish with this amazing benediction of praise. And first it's about Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the fulfillment of all the prophecies. And that is why follows vision is simply Jesus. And it's all about the salvation that was accomplished by him and available to everyone. The many nations that have been promised to Abraham that's taken about half the book of Romans. If you didn't understand what Abraham was all about, it's about all the nations. And it starts a new humanity, and it starts a new society of friends, and it starts the kingdom. And that's why follows mission is to follow Jesus in our community for God's glory. And so to end, that's a favourite saying of Ray's, I started with two things that I hoped we would be able to unpack together with the Holy Spirit's help. Here they were. What we have here is a snapshot of two churches, Corinth and Rome, that teaches us so much about the church we ought to and can be. On our website it says, we are a place to call home, a place to connect, a place to grow, a place to belong. And under fellowship, our key focus area, God's church consists of people who have been redeemed, united through the cross. This unity should be expressed in fellowship that is deep, genuine, and growing. We want to be a church that deeply loves one another as an expression of Christ's unconditional love. We believe that genuine life change happens most powerfully in community. Someone's been reading... Romans chapter 16. So, if Paul wrote a letter to follow Baptist, what would he say? If he saw our website and then he visited us, what would he see? 
What would he hear? What would he feel? Would he say that we are a holy kiss community? Thanks for listening to our message this week. If it stirred your heart and you would like to talk to someone more about it or pray with someone, please get in touch with us at info at follow.church and one of our pastoral team will get back to you as soon as possible. If you'd like more information about Follow and our various ministries, including weekly service times and location, please check out our website, www.follow.church. Thanks again for joining us. God bless. God bless.